Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been going through a series called Basic Training, and you might be saying, why do we need basic training? Why do we need to go through, like if you remember, when I was in the military, you went through boot camp to mold you from just the average Joe into a, a soldier. And so you had to go through all this stuff to mold you into a soldier so that you could function in the world of the army. You and I need to have basic training in our life so that we, as Christians, can live in the world in which we live in. But, you know, so often today, we really don't, we think we, we could just go with the flow. We could do whatever we want to do. We don't really need any training in our life. We just need to do what we want to do. And the reality is, listen to me, the reality is you can't just do that. You have to have some training. You have to have a foundation from which to live your life, from which to be the person that God is calling you to be. And so we've been trying to do that through the basic training series. And so basically we're going in three phases. We're doing the first phase is truth because it's out of truth that you live your life. So we want to lay down a foundation of truth. And then the second phase is righteousness, knowing how to live out of that truth, live the righteous life that God calls us to live through him. And then the third phase is mission. So what am I to do now? What, is, what am I to do to the folks who live outside of the walls of this church? What am I to do with the folks who live inside of the walls? And so that's what we're going to be looking at through this series. So today, we're going to continue on with the truth aspect. And so we've got to talk about something that's really going to be hard. Because it's really a topic that we really don't want to deal with. In fact, we don't want to deal with it so much that in a lot of churches today, we don't even talk about it. And that's the reality of hell. In fact, let me just give you a perspective of what the current thinking is today in the United States. Back in about, uh, I think, 2000, there was a U.S. News and World Report. There was a poll that revealed that 64% of Americans believe in hell, 25 say there isn't a hell, and 9% say they don't know. But of those 64%, here's what most people think about hell. Most respondents think that hell as an anguished state of existence. So it's not necessarily somewhere you go to. Hell could be somewhere you're at right now. And for a lot of people, that's what they think is, I'm in hell right now. This life is hell. And anything beyond this is better. And that's what a lot of Americans think. Some think of it as simply an unpleasant, solitary confinement. Most of them don't think of it as a real place. We really struggle in the church today with a concept of what hell is. And in fact, some believe that when you die, that's simply just it. You just are gone. Or, or even if there is a judgment, God just wipes you out. But the reality is, hell is a real place. And hell is very important for you and I to understand, because without a proper understanding of hell, you can't understand why Jesus went to the cross for you and died. In fact, listen to what Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, wrote. He wrote in an article in Leadership Journal called Preaching Hell in a Tolerant Age. He says, unless we come to grips with the terrible doctrine of hell, 
we will never begin to understand the depths of what Jesus did for us on the cross. His body was being destroyed in the worst possible way, but that was like a, a flea bite compared to what was going on in his soul. When he cried out that his God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. You and I need to grasp the reality of what hell is so that you can understand the salvation that Jesus gives you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about hell. So we're going to look at a couple of things about it. First of all, we're going to look at the nature of hell. What does the Bible teach us about hell? And believe me, the Bible says a lot about hell. And then we're going to talk about the coming judgment, because that's what hell is for. Hell is for the coming judgment and the reality of it. So let's look at Luke. Jesus is telling us this. So let's, in fact, let me just go ahead and say this. A lot of people today say, well, Jesus never said anything about hell. Jesus said a lot about hell. In fact, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus talked about hell and the coming judgment more than any other topic in all of the Gospels. It was very real to him, and he wanted you to understand the reality of it. Because why? It's the reason why he went to the cross, to save you from it. So listen to what he says here. He's going to tell us a parable, a story. Look with me at verse 19, chapter 16, and we'll read to the end of chapter. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off in Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, but if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. From this passage, we see the very nature of hell. So we're going to see three different things that we're going to focus on today, and I want you to understand the reality of what hell is. First of all, we see in verse 23, notice what it says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and hit Lazarus in his bosom. The first thing I want you to see about hell, here it's referred to as Hades, it's the same thing, it's a place of torment. It's a place of torment. What I want you to understand about hell is this, it is a place of punishment. And the, the whole focus of the place is, is that it continues to be forever and ever a tormenting place 
You and I think in terms of now, in terms of time, and, and even though you're going through a bad time now, you and I also have a hope that, boy, that bad time's going to get over. You know what I mean? Even if it's a bad situation at work, you know you're only going to be at work for how many hours, and then you go home and you can leave that behind. Or even if you've got a bad situation at school or a bad situation at home, you know that you can escape by leaving and it'll be over. The problem with this, with hell, there is no leaving. It's a place of torment forever and ever and ever. In fact, here's the reality of it. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation. Here he's talking about the worshipers of the beast. He says that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. It's a place of torment forever. You say, is it real? Is it possibly there? I don't know if I can grasp it, George, but listen to what Daniel Meyer writes. He writes in an article in Leadership. He talks about a book that was written by a cardiologist at the University of Tennessee. The book was called, Is There Really a Hell? And in his book, he corroborates the biblical message. In the course of their emergency room work, Dr. Maurice Rawlings and his colleagues interviewed more than 300 people who claimed to have a near-death experience. What made Rawlings' study distinct is that the interviews were not conducted months or even years later, but were immediately after the experiences allegedly occurred. While the patients were still too shaken with the immediacy of the moment to gloss over or even re-image what they had experienced. And here's what they wrote. Nearly half of them reported encountering images of fire, of tormented or tormenting creatures, of other sites hailing from the very place very different from heaven. In follow-up interviews much later, much of these same people changed their stories, apparently unwilling to admit to their families, or maybe even to themselves, that they had caught a glimpse of something like what the Bible calls hell. Dr. Rawling concludes, Just listening to these patients has changed my life. There's life after death. And if I don't know where I'm going, it's not a safe place to die. It's a place of torment. The other thing I want you to see from this passage is this. It's a place of eternal fire. One of the things that Jesus stresses over and over throughout his Gospels is that when we talk about hell, it's a place of fire. Look with me at verse 24. Notice what he says. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Many people scoff at the reality of hell and say, you know, how can fire burn on forever? How can anything burn on forever? Now, the reality is, is when you think about it in terms of physical things, yes. If it was a physical place with physical torment, you would say, yeah. I mean, if we, if we were to go right now and chop this up and put it in my furnace, after a while, it would burn for a little bit, but then it would turn to ash and it would be gone. That's the physical world. But when we talk about hell, we're not talking about a physical death or physical torment. We're talking about spiritual torment and spiritual punishment. So it's a place of spiritual, eternal flame. All of it is a picture of torment. In fact, listen again. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9. He said, he describes hell as a place where he says, where their worm does not die. So there's no death there. And the fire is not quenched. You want to know who is the one that described hell as a place of fire? Jesus. 
He describes it as a place of torment and a place of eternal fire. That's the reality of it. There's one other thing I want you to see about hell, and this is the reality that you and I need to grasp. Look at verse 26. This is Abraham speaking to the rich man. He says, And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there pass to us. Here's what's going on. The rich man looks across and he can see paradise. He can see it's called Abraham's bosom here. He can see Lazarus there with Abraham. And he says, you know, Abraham, have mercy on me. Send over Lazarus just even just to cool me off a little bit. Abraham responds to him, there's no way. There's a great distance between us and I, we can't go to you and you can't come to us. And here's what he's saying. It is permanent and there's no way out. See, so much of what we think about, can I be honest with you, so much of what we think about about hell is so influenced by TV. Because we think in terms of, let's be honest, we think in terms of that's where Satan is right now. He's in charge of hell. And and so he sends his demons from there to, to mess with us and to deal with us. And, you know, when people go to hell and they come back, especially if you watch some of the shows today, you know, demons come and go and, and people come and go from hell. And, and a lot of people think, well, hell's just going to be one big party because that's where all the, the cool people are. And who wants to be up on a cloud playing a harp? Isn't that what we think? Man, that's so far from reality. Because the reality of it is this. Jesus said himself, hell is a place of punishment. They're not there now. They're around us in this world. Hell is a place of punishment. When they go there, they don't come back from there. You understand? In fact, it tells us in Revelation that when Satan is ultimately punished, he's cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. When you go to hell, you don't come back. There's no way of working your way out of there. Hoping things get better. Maybe Jesus will give me another chance. That's not what you see here. And look at the reality of how the rich man responds to it. When he realizes the situation he's in, look at what he says. Look with me at verse 27. I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Here's what he's saying. He realizes the reality of his situation. There's nothing that can be done to it, so immediately he thinks about others. He thinks about his five brothers. And he says, send them back. And Abraham says, well, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. What's he saying? Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. They have the Word of God. But that's not good enough for the rich guy. The rich guy says, wait a minute now. But if you send somebody back from the dead, they'll grasp it. They'll understand. And here's what Abraham says. Look, if they won't listen to God's Word, they're sure not going to listen when one guy raises from the dead. You know what the interesting thing is? Is you go over just the very next gospel to John. And when you go to the gospel of John, Jesus raises a fellow from the dead by the name of who? Lazarus. How did the people respond? They were amazed, but many of them wanted to kill Jesus as well as Lazarus. They didn't believe. They didn't cause them to believe. Who else raised from the dead, my friends? Jesus. That making a lot of people want to believe? No. Not at all. So here's the thing. They have the Word of God. What's he saying? We understand the reality of hell because what testifies to it? His Word. Not just the Old Testament, but the words of Jesus tell us the reality of it. 
In fact, some of you, okay, look, you know, I was hesitant to use the illustration from that cardiologist and the research done at the University of Tennessee because some of you will say, well, you know, that proves it. No, it doesn't. The reality of hell is not based upon that book. The reality of hell is based upon what his word says. That's the nature of it. It is a place of torment. It's a place of eternal fire. It's permanent. There's no way out. That brings us to our next point. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 20 now. Because this is the purpose for hell. Revelation chapter 20, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 653. This is the purpose of why hell exists. This is what hell is for. We're going to look at verses 11 through 15. We're going to talk about the coming judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades were delivered, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here's what I want you to see. If you understand, here's why hell exists. Because hell is the punishment that people will face in the coming judgment. So let's talk about it. First of all, here's what I want you to see. There is a coming judgment. John the Revelator, when he is writing his vision of what the Lord shows him, as he is describing the things that are to happen in the future, says that he sees a great white throne, and one on it who is so terrifying that everybody wants to flee from him. He goes on and describes that one as being God. There's a coming judgment. See, and this is so, can I be honest with you, this is so foreign to us in our culture today. This is so, nobody wants to own responsibility for anything. Have you noticed that? Nobody wants their own responsibility. So, so like you get into a car accident, you're riding down the road, and, and somebody rear-ends you. That happens a lot these days, doesn't it? And you get out, and, and the person who rear-ended you was, was texting. They weren't even looking. You were slowing down for traffic, and all of a sudden, because they were texting, they slam into you. And when you get out, you're holding your neck. Oh, my neck's hurting and stuff. And then they look at you and they say, Why'd you stop? Like it's your fault. Isn't that the culture we're in? The culture is today that nobody, I'm not responsible, it's everybody else's fault. It's my daddy's fault, it's my mama's fault. She fed me too much sauerkraut. That stunted my growth. My daddy was too hard on me. My coach, my teacher, my girlfriend, my spouse. You know, so we all blame it. We don't never, it's never our fault. And that's the culture we live in because nobody, nobody wants to own responsibility. But my friends, what this passage tells us is there is a day of reckoning. And the one who sits on the throne who's going to do the judging is so terrifying that even, notice what it says, the planets and the stars want to run away from them. It's going to be terrifying. Paul describes it as the, the day of terror. And all humanity will stand before him. And here's the other thing I want you to see. Is that the lost will have their works judged. 
See, here's the thing I want you to see. We live in a culture today that says, well, you know, everybody's going to make it because everybody's doing okay. But everybody else is okay, so everybody else is going to make it because we're okay. That's not the way it is. Because the reality is, look, look at what it says here. Look with me in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. So small and great means, really, social economy, the poor and the very rich. The great people and the not so great people. Here's what it says. Standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Now here's the problem. When we talk about we're going to make it because of how good we are, we're using our own standard by which we judge others. And have you noticed that we all have different standards here? You know, my standard of what I think is right is often sometimes different than what's your standard of what's right. You know, and I, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah, he ran around on his wife, but he's a good guy. Yeah, he stole money from work, but he was there for me. You notice how we have different standards? So, okay, so this judgment's going to take place. Whose standard? It's not ours. It's God's standard. So let me ask you a question. How we do when we look at his standard? Not really good. We say, well, you know, yeah, I did one thing. Okay, let's say that you only sinned one time in your life. Let's say there's a possibility of that, okay? That you only did one bad thing in all of your life. How are we doing? Everybody do their one bad thing already? Let's say that you only did one bad thing. You mean to tell me that God's going to send me to hell for one bad thing? Yes. Because you transgressed his law. Well, what kind of a God is he? Well, you know, I was thinking about this, about trying to communicate this to you. Here, I want you to help me grasp it. Have you ever done something to someone you wished you hadn't, and then you try to make it right with them, only they never accept you making it right with them again, no matter what you do? You messed up one time, that was it. And no matter how many good things you do, I mean, you send them money. You send them gift cards. You do, I mean, you plow, I mean, it's ten foot of snow out there. You're shoveling their walk to say, I'm sorry, I did, you know, and you're trying to do all the good things. Have you noticed that even in spite of all the good things, they've written you off? You know what I'm talking about? The same thing here, except with God, he writes you off because you transgressed his law. And it's a judicial thing, not an emotional thing. And so we'll be judged by our works. And here's what we're going to find. And you say, why are we judged by our works? Because when you judge yourself by what you do, you realize real quick you've got no hope. You've got no hope because when all of a sudden every bad thing is pointed out, every thought. In fact, isn't it interesting? Jesus would later say in the Gospels, every idle word will be brought into account. Do you remember what you said yesterday? I'm sure you and I said some dumb things yesterday. How many of you have said things that you wished you'd never said? Spouses. When you're having intense fellowship and stuff comes out of you and you say it. I mean, I've watched the words go out and you want to bring them back in and they can't come back. And did you notice they never forget either? Don't you remember when you said? That was 20 years ago. Every idle word. See, here's what I'm saying. The lost will have their works judged. Now, but here's the problem. This isn't what sends them to hell. There's one other thing I want you to see. Look with me, verse 15. This is what sends you to hell. 
And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is for those who are not in the book of life. See, it's not your deeds. Your deeds are only going to show you your need for something else. The question of whether or not you go to hell is whether you reached out for something else or you decided to go it on your own. You say, something else? What is something else? The something else, my friends, is Jesus. Because he paid the price for us. He gave his life for us. He took, in fact, this is what John would say. He is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means wrath satisfier. He satisfied God's wrath by suffering and dying for us so that we might have eternal life. That's the reason for the cross. Do you understand why you've got to understand hell first? So you've got to grasp the reality of hell and the coming judgment to understand why Jesus went to the cross. One man took our place so that we could have eternal life. So that we could have the relationship restored with God. See, what sends you to hell isn't whether your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, because they're never going to outweigh your bad deeds. What sends you to hell is whether or not you trust in Jesus. That's reality. That's reality. You say, okay, George, it's been a heavy message, and I know. What do we do with it? Two questions. That's how we're going to conclude. What do you believe about hell? You might be here and you say, well, you know, I haven't really thought about it. Not something I keep on the forefront of my brain, George. Yeah, I understand that. But the reality is, is you need to understand that there is a day of reckoning coming. It is a very real place. Jesus talked about it a lot. People do go there. From all indications, the Bible tells us most go there. What do you believe about it? You know, you might be one of these folks that says, well, hell's right now. I heard a theologian say this. I thought it was a very powerful thing. He said this. This world right now, to the believer, is the closest thing we'll ever have to hell. But to the unbeliever, is the closest thing to heaven they'll ever have. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? It's real. You need to make a point to grasp it because if you really want to understand your salvation, you really want to understand what Jesus did for you and his dying for you so that you can have eternal life, you've got to grasp the reality that you at one time, believer, were going to go to hell if it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of your pedigree or your education. It wasn't because of all the good stuff you're doing and all the bad stuff you're not doing. Because of Jesus. What do you believe about hell? It's got to be, you know what, today in the church we've got to grasp that doctrine. Why? Because it will get us off our focus, off of ourselves and our focus on others. Especially your loved ones who don't know Jesus. The other thing is this. Will your name be found in the book of life? See, the reality of hell, my friends, if you don't embrace Jesus, if you don't believe what he did for you, if you don't embrace the love, the gift that was given, then it's just a question of time. So he reaches out. You know, the sentence is hell. We all carried it at one time. Some of you carry it now. But the pardon is not just a presidential pardon. It's a divine pardon. It's the reality of Jesus dying in our place, offering us eternal life and forgiveness. And it is extended... But it's only valid if it's accepted. Have you accepted it? Is your name found in the book of life? Thank you for being with us this morning. 
And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.